The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. I'm here. Tommy is here. Uh, it is a shitty day here, Tommy, in D.C. It is windy. It is rainy. Big storm coming through. All rain because it's mild. It's like in the 40s right now. Uh, we've got another one of these coming through over, over the weekend. And then maybe some winter next week in terms of temperatures anyway. But you told me before we started to record that it's been bad weather down in Florida, too, where you are. Yeah, it's been pretty bad windy winds coming off the Gulf uh, to the point where they told us to bring in our our uh, furniture on the deck, uh-huh. you know, and to t- tie down the table. Because one time here, we're on the seventh floor, and I wasn't here when this happened. Uh, but uh, the couple we stayed with, when they were here one time... Uh, a table, their table, went flying off the seventh floor of the, of, of the balcony and crashed into the parking lot. Well, good good news is it just crashed into the parking lot and not yes. into somebody. Yes, it was. Um, yes. Yeah, but it, it's it's almost like that kind of wind here for about fifteen hours. Wow! You know, on and off with rain and stuff, and uh, it hasn't been great here. Yeah, I'm looking at the updated forecast here. Early afternoon on Tuesday, and we've got a high wind warning in effect. Um, We have, what are the winds going to get to? Winds gusting as high as 55 miles per hour tonight with heavy rain. Temperatures around 41. Um, Yeah, I mean, it's, God, it's, we just haven't had winter here yet. Last year, we didn't have winter. Next week, there, I mean, I was looking at the extended forecast and some of the long-range models, and even if we don't get snow, a lot of the country starting really now in the Midwest and then moving east will finally get really cold weather. Like, next week, temperatures will be, like, in the highs in the 20s for a couple of days. You know, lows in, like, the low to mid-teens. Um, and that's happening in the Midwest right now. Kansas City, which hosts the first ever streaming playoff game on Peacock Saturday night, temperatures are going to be in the single digits 
uh, at kickoff in their game against it could, it could be the coldest Miami. game Miami has ever played. Oh, is in, that what they're in, saying? In a playoff game. Yeah, uh, I would imagine. They've played some cold-weather games in Buffalo. They played a cold-weather snow game in Buffalo last year, uh, if I recall. Um, But right now, yeah. By the way, just as a complete change of direction from weather, it's going to be cold in Kansas City. It's going to be cold in Buffalo in the two cold-weather cities that are hosting playoff games this weekend. But, you know, the NFL uh, had, I guess, several choices for the first ever streamed game. And, you know, they were promoting the hell out of it in their final Sunday night game, the the um, Miami-Buffalo game on Sunday night, because they don't want people to get caught off guard. And you know that's going to happen. You know that we're going to get to Saturday night, and it's going to be, all right, the Cleveland-Houston game's over. Now we get to sit down and watch Kansas City and Miami. Where is it? It's not on NBC. Oh, it's an ESPN. No, it's not on Fox. It's being streamed on Peacock. But they picked Kansas City because of Taylor Swift and all of the people that will probably sign up for Peacock to see Taylor Swift at Travis Kelsey's playoff game on Saturday night. I guess they could have gone with the Packers-Cowboys game, and that would have been a big deal too. But imagine the number of new signups they're going to have. I wonder if they have a trial period like SiriusXM does for you, um, where you can you know give it back I, in I don't think, a month. I don't think they do. Remember, for, for at least a year, Peacock used to be free. And then, and then they went over to you have to pay for the subscription. Peacock was free. Uh, they made, yeah, for at least a year or more. I didn't know that. Peacock was free, uh, and then it didn't become free anymore. And look, I'm hoping it bombs. I, I'm, I, I understand we're we're heading for a streaming universe here, and you know the NFL already streams their Thursday night games on Amazon. But those are regular season games. Right. Now, this is a playoff game. This is sacred. And this, it should be at this point. I think so. And we're, not, we're not in the universe where everybody has cut the cord and everybody's, you know, spending the same amount of money on 20 different streaming channels. We're not there yet. I have. So I hope it bombs. I have Peacock, so I'm okay with it. Um, uh, we have everything. I, I mean,. I think I don't know what I've got to do an audit on how many monthlies yes, I have because it is ridiculous. I I just go ahead and pay my American Express every month, you know, automatically, and I do review the bill once a month, but I always review it looking for the big numbers, you know. I'm always looking for why how did it get to that? What oh, that's right. Yeah, I know. Um, I know. But, and it's 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 a as, lot of the other stuff that adds up. It, as I understand it, uh, or at least the way I operate, uh, your cable bill, for the most part, should be a tax deduction. No. Look at the business you're in. I know it is, but I have tried through this business and through the LLC that that I set up now five years ago for this business. I think with my accountant, I've asked him, I don't think the cable bill is deductible for this business. I understand it's important, sports, the whole thing, but a lot of those opportunities went away recently. 
I'll ask him though. I ask him every year. What can I, you know, yeah. what are the reasonable deductions for uh the business? Um but anyway, uh Kansas City, Miami, brutal cold Saturday night, coldest playoff game for the Dolphins ever, and Taylor Swift, I'm sure, will be there and there will be a lot of new signups for uh, Peacock, I would imagine. Um, I'm looking forward to this weekend, you know, with all the news, and we're going to get to all of yesterday because you haven't had a chance to weigh in here on the podcast. You wrote a column about yesterday and about Josh Harris's press conference, and um, we got a lot. We got a lot to get to. Mike Vrabel just got fired. Man, I'd put him immediately on the list of people to to interview down in South Florida, where uh, right now yeah, Josh but, Harris but and company are interviewing everybody. Yeah. Here's the complication with that. I think in order to interview Mike Vrabel, Josh Harris will have to hire another consultant <laughs> to pick up the phone to make the call to call Mike Vrabel and to see if he can come in for an interview. There are a lot of cooks in the kitchen right now, aren't there? there yeah. Sure are. Yeah. A lot of big names, a lot of, lot of excitement. We're, we're going to get to that. It's uh, very impressive. <laughs> you're really impressed with it all. Yes. Um, what's funny is after reading your column, I had had a, a similar feeling um, yesterday as well, just about, man, there's a lot of, there, there's going to be a lot of consensus building necessary to get to a decision here. Um, I don't know. We'll see how it works out. I do want to mention, first of all, so many of you have written very nice reviews, rated us very highly on Apple in particular. If you haven't rated or reviewed the podcast, takes 30 seconds, honestly. You could pause it right now. If you listen to this on Apple Podcasts, first of all, hit the follow button, which is the plus button in the upper right-hand corner, and then give us five stars if you think it's worth it and write a quick one- to two-sentence review. We would prefer if you don't do what Commander Lover did, which is he gave us one star and wrote two sentences in his review your show was great when you were a homer. It's a tough listen now. <laughs> that was great. Um, but, you know, your one star really doesn't help me much. Um, I don't care what you write as long as the star count is high. Um, but really, uh, a rate and a review is really helpful for us. A follow on Apple and Spotify, really helpful as well. Um, same goes for subscribing uh, to the podcast as well. Um, this one is from Neil. Neil gave us five stars. Thank you, Neil. Um, by the way, when was the last time, was I ever really a homer You've known me and worked with me more than anybody in my career in broadcasting. I used to get accused of being a homer a lot. I do remember that. I still, by the way, get accused of being a homer every once in a while, which is baffling to me. But anyway, do you ever think I was really a homer? No. No, I didn't think you were a homer. I, I, I knew what team you rooted for. And everybody knew that, but I think you could be critical of what your team was doing and not when I think of a homer, there's a blind connotation to it to me. There's like my team right or wrong kind of thing to it, you know? Yeah. Uh you were never like that. 
Never. I don't think I ever was. I mean, yeah. I can I can remember because really from the moment I got into sports broadcasting and got opportunities to be on the air, it was really coinciding with the downfall of this organization. You know, did, yeah. was I hopeful? Yes. Were there moments where I was encouraged and optimistic? Definitely yes. I was, you know, well, I, the Marty era was before I got into broadcasting. Um, but some of those Gibbs years, I loved some of those games and some of those moments. Now, I, I can remember, I can actually remember specifically the first time I was super critical of the team. It was the 2006 offseason after they went to the playoffs and won a game in 2005. And they traded for Antoine. Uh, they signed Antoine Randall, uh, Adam Archuleta. They traded for Brandon Lloyd. Ripped up his contract, gave him a new contract. And I kept saying, "You guys are paying way too much money for a few people." They redid uh, Clinton Portis's deal at the time, and 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 they let you know guys like Antonio Pierce and Ryan Clark and others leave. And I remember that was the first time because I was doing the show with Rigo. And I remember saying, this is an organization that isn't doing the roster piece well at all. Like, Vinny Serrato should not be the general manager. Dan should not be the general manager. They And that was like my first memory of starting to call for a new regime, you know, in the front office. But Gibbs was the coach. I was optimistic. I was very optimistic when Mike Shanahan took the job. Very no doubt, and was even optimistic about Bruce Allen, um, but that turned that turned pretty quickly. And since yeah. uh, it's been um, it's been much more hoping um, than thinking. Uh, now we have. I mean, I don't know if you paid attention or not, but we've got a culture change undergoing right now. Uh, and this, I didn't notice that. I know you didn't I notice the culture, that. <laughs> I thought the culture had already changed. I know. The culture, I thought Ron changed the culture. Tom's column is about culture. We will get to that. But I started to read this second review from Neil, who gave us five stars. And he said, and he titled his review, TV Show Review Frustration. For context, three of my all-time favorite TV series are Game of Thrones, The Wire, and Breaking Bad, which makes it all the more frustrating to hear Kevin and Tom talk about watching lesser shows that have jumped the line. Who cares if there are multiple seasons? Man up and enjoy the greatness. Now, he gives us a winking emoji. So I read this, and I'm not sure I really understood it because I don't think... Either one of us has ever had an issue with shows that have multiple seasons. Did you say something about what? that? Well, I don't think so. Is he saying that we express, we fawn over other shows that aren't as good as these shows? Um, well, he does say they talk about watching lesser, lesser shows that have jumped the line. Well, first of all, let me just tell you. No shows that I've watched or even talked about jump the line with Game of Thrones or Breaking Bad. I mean, G Game of Thrones, Breaking Bad, Sopranos are my top three favorite shows of all time, in terms of dramas anyway. Um, put them in any, any order. I'd probably go Breaking Bad, Game of Thrones, 
Sopranos in that order for me. Tommy has always, you know, and I haven't watched The Wire and he hasn't watched Game of Thrones, but we have two of the we have we 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 are both in agreement on Breaking Bad. Yes. And um, the Sopranos. And the Sopranos. Right. We're both we're both in uh, in yes, agreement our on that. Difference is I would put The Wire in there and you go with uh, G- The G- Dragon G- Show. <laughs> right, right. The these kinds of shows you hate watching, even though Stranger Things is one of your favorite shows also. Um, Game of Thrones, you didn't watch, and I haven't watched The Wire. It's the biggest, you know, it's the biggest uh, blind spot for me. Um, but, yeah, uh, I don't mind multiple season shows. By the way, I finished Fargo season one. Just great. Um, and I'm going to watch season two. Now, I've had people tell me now you you're you're through or you're on season five right now. Uh, I've had people tell me that after season two, it definitely gets a little bit less interesting. That the first two seasons are the brilliant seasons. True or not? I disagree with that. Okay. I think season four is, is fantastic. Okay. Is season one with your favorite? Chris Rock. It might be. No, it's season it one. It might be. Season four might be my favorite. Really? Okay. Yeah. With Chris Rock is in it. Uh, and uh, I think that's season four, or that's season three with Chris Rock. I get confused. I'm looking through the season. But, season uh, three, no, season four is Chris Rock. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's pretty good. So I don't know what they're talking I think that email was probably generated by our... Now, all, all the accolades we gave Fargo. We're not saying that it's one of the top three shows we've ever seen. Right. But we're saying it's definitely worth your time. A hundred percent worth your time. Excellent. Yes. And I have to say that the finale of season one is great. Um, yeah. Just everything about that first season. I can't wait to get to season uh, two, which I will do in a moment. I did look ahead to see that um, Kirsten Dunst is in it. Uh, Ted Danson is in it. Ted um, Danson's fantastic in it. Uh, and um, uh, the guy that played uh, in Breaking Bad, the guy that played, um, um, you know, the, the, oh, God, I hate when this Bob happens. Kirk, Bob Odenkirk. No, Bob Odenkirk's in season one. Um, okay. I'm talking about the guy that played Todd, played Todd in Breaking Bad. Um, is in oh, yes. is in yes. season two of this one as well. He's actually been oh in, my gosh, yes, yeah. He's been in a lot of good things. Um, he's pretty yeah, good. He's good, yeah. Um, I'm trying to think. He was in a movie that where he was really good. Was it The Irishman? He was in he was in Black Mass, the movie about yes, he was. Uh, Whitey Bulger about, Whi- about Whitey Bulger. That had, yeah, that had Johnny Depp in it. He was in Black Mass. He was also in the movie that I loved with Cruz, which I don't think was a movie that really got talked about enough. The true story about that guy Barry Seal. Um, what was the name of that movie? The guy that was, you know, American based, something. Uh, American Made. Good call. American, American Made. American Made. That's it. Yeah, that was a uh, that was an excellent movie. Um, okay, uh, enough about that. Uh, rate us and review us, please. It's very, very helpful. So um, before we get to your column, uh, let me just mention the national championship game last night. Did you watch it or not? Oh, yes, I did. I watched it. So I, you know, 
I didn't bet Michigan. I liked Michigan. I should have put Michigan into the smell test. Uh, they, they were uh, an anti-public play. There was sharp money on them. Um, and I just hesitated on all fronts because Washington had beaten me down in the last three or four times I had them, and I just wasn't sure. I didn't bet the game myself. I said on the show yesterday I was going to bet Michigan. That line went to five and a half, six, and I just was like, now I'm getting a bad number, and I just backed off the game, to which both my good friend Tim Murray and Steve Sands, because we're on a group text talking about you know the – uh, the the obvious anti contrarian plays every night in every sport. Right. They were congratulating each other this morning on the group text, and I had to admit that I chickened out um, and didn't play it. <laughs> uh, to which Tim Murray said, "I am really disappointed in you." Uh, and yeah, I was disappointed too because usually it's when it's it fits the the bill, it fits the formula, and it hasn't worked with a specific team, that's when you really have to show balls and say, really? I've lost on Washington going against Washington three times? I'm going to do it one more time, damn it, because it's the right play. And I didn't do it last night, and Michigan rolled them. Um, It was was an interesting game. I, I mean, Michigan ran the ball at will in the first quarter against Washington yeah. as they ran out to a 17-3 to lead. But really, after the first quarter, Michigan did very little in the game offensively. I- I'm just going to say this. I think I've said it once before. I don't get the fascination with J.J. McCarthy. It might be uh, something that I can't see, and it's the intangibles, which you know everybody around him says, this guy's a born leader, he's incredibly smart. I see a guy that is listed at 6'3", that never has to put the game on his back because he's played on a great team. He plays smaller than his size. He gets so many balls batted down. We've talked about that all year with Sam Howell. I don't see the the fascination with McCarthy as in some, you know, mock drafts, the fourth quarterback that will be taken after Caleb Williams, Drake May, and Jaden Daniels. I don't see it. Um, but anyway, it was not Michigan's offense that won the game last night. It was Michigan's defense. They yes. really rattled. They punished them. They m- punished Washington. And they rattled. They really did. They it rattled was, the guy brutal. that couldn't be rattled. You know, he wasn't rattled against Oregon. He wasn't rattled against Texas. Michael Penix Jr. had gained so many, so many fans with his two high-profile games, the Pac-12 championship game and the Texas game, underdogs in both of those games, and he lit Oregon and Texas up. And not only that, like you talked about, the left-handed throw, the ball seems to be prettier. Everything about Penix Jr. in those two games was really great, and he was climbing draft boards. And I, you know, I was impressed too, but I also watched him a lot during the regular season, and I said, there were games that I watched this year where he did not look like a first-round pick. Like, he has always thrown the deep ball well, but he was wildly inaccurate in other games with just the easy throws. And I said, I just want to see him against the best defense they'll face all year long, Michigan's defense, before you know anointing him QB4 in the upcoming draft. And I thought that 
it was a problem for him from the jump. He was inaccurate on every ball that he threw. He was getting pressured. He only got sacked once, but it was the pressure that had his eyes going in every direction. They confused him with coverages. He was inaccurate all night long. And even though they got back into that game down 17-10 at halftime and it was 20-13 to and Michigan was punting on every possession there for a while, they couldn't do anything offensively. Washington couldn't. Yeah. The story of the game for me was Michigan's incredible defense. It was the best defense all season long in college football. Uh, Jesse Minter, their defensive coordinator, was with the Ravens, you know, the whole Harbaugh connection. Um, they just were were excellent on defense. They were the best team in the country. You didn't know it when they had a poor schedule for much of the year, but by the time you got through that Ohio State game and the Penn State game, funny that Maryland probably played them as tough as anybody did this yeah. year, um, yeah. other than Bama in the, right. in the semifinal, but that um, that Michigan was the best team. They were the best team, and they are so well coached and have been since he got there, especially on offense, but uh, defensively they've, they've improved in the last few years. And no matter how you know much of a shelf life, short shelf life he might present as a new head coach in the NFL, Jim Harbaugh is a flat-out winner. And he's won yes. everywhere he's gone, and he's won big, and now he's won it all finally. Um, and I, I, I did not, you know, even think about the investigations or the recruiting or the sign stealing. I know what kind of team they've had, and I know what kind of team I was watching last night. They were the best team in the country. As far as Penix Jr. goes, injury history, um, inaccurate at times with the with the with the shorter throws. A, a, a very odd release. I'm not knocking it, but, man, it is a flick of a wrist kind of a throw. Um, I'm not going to downgrade him for playing against the best team, and they were manhandled up front, but he still, to me, would be after the Williams. For me, it would be Jaden Daniels and Williams are the two best, then Drake May, and then we go to the Penix Jr., Bo Nix, I guess, J.J. McCarthy conversation. I would take Penix Jr. before McCarthy. I'm pretty sure I would do that. So would but, I. but I don't know a lot about McCarthy because who could know a, a lot about McCarthy? There were games in which he barely had to throw the football. Last night he was 10 for 18, 10 completions. Against Penn State when they went to State College and won, he was 7 of 8 for eighty for 60 yards. You know, this was a team that was a line of scrimmage team, a run first team, but everybody around them swears by him. And, you know, I think pro scouts like all the intangibles. So we'll see. But um, Michigan, easily last night. And I was just sitting there watching as a fan with no action, knowing that Michigan should have been my play. But uh, did you have any thoughts on the championship game? I know you don't watch these teams all year long, but what did you make of Michigan? What do you think of Harbaugh, et cetera? Well, again, I was, I, like you, I was impressed with the Michigan defense. It was a punishing defense. You know, at times it seemed like the last place Washington wanted to be was on the field to take another snap against that defense. Uh, that's how tough it was. And I'm with you 100% on Harbaugh. Uh, and I think his second trip to the NFL, he'll probably be an even better coach. Why? Than he was the first time through. Why? Because human nature 
that happens. Human nature, you know, if, if you're going back to where you had been before and you've had time to step away from that, that arena and now you're back in it, the experience probably makes you a better coach. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, look, I'm, I'm, I'm on board with, with Harbaugh, but, uh, you know, apparently he's tough to get a hold of. The, uh, you know, Josh Harris had to hire Bob Myers to pick up the phone to call Harbaugh's agent, apparently. Well, I mean, I would say that if they still haven't gotten in touch with him, he could go hire a couple of other people, and they could try to reach him from their phones. Um, one last heaven forbid that that Jim Harbaugh would take a call from Josh Harris. <laughs> uh, one last thing on Michigan and Washington last night. Um, Michigan plays Washington next year, October fifth, twenty twenty four, in Seattle. It's a big Ten game, right? And it's a Big Ten game, yeah. I mean, God help us all. I just don't get how all of this happened. I do. It's, you know, it's money, it's football, it's the whole thing. But, yeah, Michigan-Washington next year in a conference game. Uh, Michigan's schedule next year, I was looking at this early this morning. They, so they had a, the, one of the weakest non-conference schedules you've ever seen this past season, which is why nobody was really sure about them until they finally played somebody, which was Penn State, and that was late in the season. Next year, they open with Fresno State, always a pretty competitive team. Then they get Texas. Then, the, then they play Arkansas State. Then it's USC in a conference game in Michigan. Then they two weeks later, they're in Seattle to play Washington. They play Oregon next year in Ann Arbor. And, of course, they play Ohio State uh, in Columbus. I mean, but they the non-conference games are uh, Texas and Fresno State, which um, Michigan did not go out and really test themselves this year. They had, like, a schedule that started with, like, East Carolina and Bowling Green, um, before they got to the conference schedule, it was pathetic. Uh, but anyway, yeah, Harbaugh, that's interesting that you think he'll be better the next go-around. I don't even know if he could be better um, than he was in San Francisco. 44-19-1, a 690 win percentage is pretty tough to beat. But if you're talking about just in general not record being a, a better all-around coach, of course, I mean – you know, it's been years since he's been there. I mean, his final year yeah. in San Francisco was 2014. You know, so it's going to be that's ten. I mean, that's, that's ten years ago. Yeah. Um, yeah. So he's probably more mature. You know, I don't know him. Okay, and I don't cover college football, but human nature being what it is, I'm betting that he probably gets. He probably plays well with others a little bit better than he did back then. So, you know, of all of the news that broke yesterday, um, and just updating that news uh, as of now, as of the recording of this podcast, right? Let me go through the list right now as we have it. Um, Washington has requested an interview with or has either interviewed or is about to interview down in Miami, which 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 is where Josh Harris lives, um, Adam Peters Ian Cunningham, Alec Hallaby, Mike Borgonzi, Glenn Cook, and Will McClay, the Cowboys' longtime VP of player personnel, on the GM side. The coach side, what's been reported, Ben Johnson, 
Uh, Aaron Glenn, both of the Lions, Mike McDonald and Anthony Weaver from the Ravens, both on the defensive side. Dan Quinn, Raheem Morris, Bobby Slowick. Um, Now, there was a report from Jordan Schultz that others haven't confirmed. I I would have been looking more for a Nicky or a John or a Ben or somebody to confirm this. But um, Jim Harbaugh, his agent, Don Yee, who he uh, secured as an agent just a few months ago, he's Brady's agent. He's Sean Payton's agent, Brady being in Vegas as as a part owner. Um, but Harbaugh's apparently a potential interest as well. Um, by the way, real quickly, uh, taking Harbaugh out of that list, five of the coaches that they've requested interviews with or have interviewed already are defensive guys. Only two offensive guys, Ben Johnson uh, and Bobby Slowick, uh, which is interesting. But anyway, on the Harbaugh front, so the the, the discussion about Harbaugh is that well, let me ask you this. First of all, Bill Belichick is still, as of now, in New England. And there's actually been some reporting that maybe uh, if Belichick turns over sort of the GM responsibilities, that he might stay in New England. We'll see. But let's just assume Belichick's not going to be a target for this group. That's my guess on Belichick, is that this group wouldn't be interested. Do you have a guess on Belichick? It might require another consultant or two. To yes. call him. I mean, that Belichick would require a whole team of consultants. <laughs> well, okay. That understand culture so you, and good culture. Yes. In, in order to have that conversation with him. Right. Look, the Belichick thing is now up in the air because of Vrabel being on the market. Sure. Being a former New England Patriot. Right. Icon. Right. Of a player. And a great coach. Now that, that certainly complicates. Uh, the issue there, and isn't it remarkable that the Titans didn't try to trade Vrabel? Um, did he have any time left on his contract? Yes. Yeah. Yes. I guess. But they, according to Diana Rossini, they thought it would be too complicated. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Too hard to do. Yeah, because so the, they just let him go. Because there's definitely That's a little insane. Yeah, because he's one of those guys. I would bet everything I have he's a head coach within a few weeks somewhere else. I agree. Um, on, I, I agree. If on, he wants to be, yes. Yeah, on Harbaugh, Harbaugh. So Harbaugh, would I want him as the coach in Washington? Definitely yes. Yeah, but Kevin, you know, he's, it's a short shelf life. You're only going to get him like you got him, you know, like San Francisco, San Francisco did for four years. Yeah, but he was 44-19-1, went to a Super Bowl, and was in three straight NFC Championship games. I'll take that four-year run, thank you. And then we can worry about the big run guy after, you know, in 2028. Um, the, the, the issue with Harbaugh, though, is, I think, is that he's going to want to bring in his GM. So I talked to somebody early this morning, somebody who called me about Harbaugh. This isn't somebody necessarily in the know, but this is somebody who really knows the Ravens in particular. And so they said, you know, Harbaugh would be interested in Washington. Do you have any idea if they're interested in him? I said, I have no idea. I mean, there was this the, the one report, Jordan Schultz yesterday, and the reason is that he and his brother have talked about at some point in their lives making e- making it easier for their parents. So they're a very close family, obviously, and their parents travel every weekend to Ann Arbor or to wherever Michigan's playing and then to wherever the Ravens are playing. 
And as they've gotten older, it's gotten much harder. And the idea of John being in Baltimore and Jim being in D.C., well, there's the traveling problem solved. Now, they play road games a lot. In some weekends, it would be Baltimore at Cincinnati or Baltimore at, you know, in Vegas against the Raiders and Washington at home. So you're still, you know, but there would be less travel with them being yeah, but there. Kevin, yeah. Kevin, but that way, there's always a game at home. There's always a game at home. There would always be a game at home. If, if, There'd always be a Actually, game in the, in the DMV. That's not true. They can both be on the road at the same time. Um, Very rare. The rare exception. Uh, I don't I, I have no idea if it's rare or not. But anyway, um, yeah. the other part of it, too, is that the Chargers' opportunity is obviously an opportunity that in some ways is much more attractive because the number two pick makes Washington very attractive. It might make Washington so much more attractive than it was just three or four weeks ago. You know, the salary yeah. cap space and the number of draft choices, uh-uh. It's the fact that they have the number two pick in the draft and they have a chance to get one of the top two quarterbacks that makes it a lot more attractive than it even was if you assume that it, had, for the first time, had become attractive. But the other part of this was, yeah, the Chargers have Justin Herbert and they've got, you know, incredible facilities and so fi, but they don't have a fan base and then Vegas they have no fan base. Yeah, and then Vegas is, you know, a bit weird too, although there are ties there. And the GM that he would want, the guy that's the assistant GM in, in Indianapolis working for Ballard is this guy Dodds. The uh Raiders are interviewing him. So I, I do think that the connection for him to, to 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 Vegas is becoming more obvious and probably will be where he lands. But one of the reasons that he loved San Francisco is that they were down they were downtrodden at the time, but it was this fan base with a history and he brought it all back. And he might want a a, a market that would be super enthused about winning again. Um as sort of an old school guy, but I don't think he's going to end up here though. I mean I I'm just giving you some of the reasons why it might happen, and to tell you that I'd be in favor of Harbaugh being the coach here, definitely. I'd be in favor of Rabel being the coach here. You know, the the, the young assistants, you know, for all that want to go young, hot assistant uh, and try to get, you know, the next guy that stays in the same place for 10 to 15 years, it's just like draft choices. That's a one-in-four chance, too. For every one that turns out to be a great hire, there are two to three that fall by the wayside and are out. You know, just as as D'Amico Ryan's is hitting hitting it big now. You know, Arthur Smith is on his way out. You know, other guys are on their way out. So anyway, let me say this. Yeah, uh, about Harbaugh, and I say this in the column. You know, culture being the definitive word here, the operative word to success. Jim Harbaugh is a culture onto himself. Yeah. Okay? When you hire Jim Harbaugh, you get the Jim Harbaugh culture. Belichick is a culture onto himself. He is a culture. Okay? You get that when you get Belichick. All these other young hotshots, they have to create a culture, something that they've never done before. So you're right. It, it, it is it is a crapshoot, and if you think culture is so important, you know exactly what kind of culture you're going to get with Jim Harbaugh. I mean, there's no question about that. Uh, but you're right, I don't think Harbaugh will be the guy. Uh, I have no problem if he was the guy. 
uh, or with Vrabel. Either one. I think I think Vrabel is 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 an excellent coach uh, who who created his own level of culture in Tennessee. Uh, and uh, but I think you're right. I don't think that'll happen. I don't happen that. I don't think the consultants will be able to make all that happen. Yeah, you know, the culture thing, and I read your column, and, and we can get into it a little bit more after the break, but I, I, I think that something you said is true. It's like there are people that you can hire that if you're an owner that steps away and lets everybody do their job, they bring the culture with them. Um, the problem with, you know, a Joe Gibbs or a Marty Schottenheimer or a Mike Shanahan or even a Ron Rivera culture is that Dan was here to always ensure that the culture wouldn't be changed. Um, but it requires the owner to allow that culture that you're bringing to uh, your franchise to be the culture and to step aside and say, you're the culture, and I'm on board with it. And that's not necessarily the direction that I think they're going in, and we'll get to that right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This segment of the show brought to you by Window Nation. Uh, if you're thinking about new windows, get them now. The cold weather is coming next week and beyond. You'll save a lot of money just on your heating bill alone. Your home will look much better. If you've got older windows or you've just been thinking about getting new windows, just give Window Nation the first shot. There are several reasons to do it right now. Call them at 866-90-NATION or go to windownation.com. Mention my name. You'll get a free estimate, so you've got nothing to lose. The offer right now is a real good one. First of all, you're going to pay 50% uh, of the price of all windows, any style. 50% off on all of them. Half price 
on your purchase. Secondly, if you want to finance the purchase, 0% interest rates for five years. You won't pay interest until the year 2029. Thirdly, they've got the best windows around and they always install perfectly. Uh, They make their windows here locally, even though they're a national company, having sold millions of windows nationwide. They measure each window to ensure proper fit three times. 96% of their installs require no follow-up service. They've got they've got over 10,000 online positive reviews. If you know anything about retail, you don't get many positive reviews. You just get the negative reviews more often than not. Um, and they've got over 1,500 custom vinyl window combinations available right now. Uh, I wouldn't be endorsing Window Nation if I didn't have complete trust in them. I've been doing it for 14 years. They've got the experience. They've got the credibility with me and many of the people who are listening to this podcast. Call them at 866-90-NATION or go to windownation.com. So yesterday, wild day, right? We knew Ron Rivera would get fired, uh, but certainly the Bob Myers and Chris Spielman ads That was the surprising news yesterday. I mean, it's almost like we blew right by the firing of a head coach uh, after four years because it was such a foregone conclusion. But you could easily blow by it because almost simultaneously they announced that they had hired, you know, at this point, a legendary front office NBA executive, Bob Myers, and a longtime highly respected front office NFL exec, in Chris Spielman. I talked about it on yesterday's show. David Aldridge was on the show with me yesterday, if you haven't listened to it. Uh, David was great. Um, I'll turn it over to you. Uh, Tell me what you thought about the news, and I'm sure you will work your column into it a little bit more than you even did in our first segment. Okay. Well, let me just say, uh, you know, I posted my column on, on Twitter. Yeah. And let me read some of the comments here Oh boy! from some people. It looks like Tom is desperately reaching for the bottom of the barrel. You have been complaining for too long. Have you considered retiring? You know? Well, have you? Tommy is really going to miss writing about the target-rich environment that was Dan Snyder's ownership. A real grasper shot at Josh Harris here. It's not my calm. It's not necessarily a shot. No, I didn't. At Josh Harris, I didn't read it that way. They, they won the day. Okay, they they won the press conference. Okay, this they won the perception battle yesterday on the day they fired their coach. There's nothing wrong with that, and like I say in the column, that has value. That's important, especially with this organization. That can't seem to do anything right perception-wise. But come on, okay? Wake up. It, it was a show. You know, it, it, was a sh- it, was, it was a rich, smart guy owner show. I mean, you're going to tell me that Josh Harris, who owns two sports teams and ha- owns 5% of the Steelers, he still hasn't sold that yet. Wait a minute. You, can't uh, don't you have to sell that? Yeah, you do. He he's trying, but he hasn't sold it yet. Oh, interesting. Uh, you're gonna tell me this guy can't figure out how to? I, really, we're only talking about one hire if he's doing it right. 
That's the president of football operations. One hire, okay? You're going to tell me that he's been watching this team all year. He's been in the league for a couple of years as a minority owner. He's been in the sports franchise business for a decade. And he doesn't know by the end of the year who he's, who he's interested in hiring to be the next general manager. He doesn't have a list. He needs consultants to tell him, you know, you should go after this guy. You should go after that guy. It's ridiculous. Josh Harris could handle this. He doesn't need any, he doesn't need Bob Myers or Rick Spielman or anybody else to help him hire the president of football operations, who in, ter- who in turn should then conduct a football coach search if it's done right. And then and, and that, that's once the football operations guy picks a coach that gets approved by the owner. That, that's, I think, what most fans are hoping for, that kind of structure. So, I mean, so Josh Harris could do all that, so this is just a show. You know, and it, it's 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 an understandable show, but don't don't be smarter than to sit there and say, "Wow, he's really doing things the right way." You know, like your owner is an idiot and he can't handle this himself. Yeah, I get I get that part of the reaction. Like yesterday wasn't the day to sit back and fawn all over your owner. Like I mean, now. I, I disagree with you on the hirings and the purpose of the hirings. I, I agree with you that to sit back and say, oh, my God, yesterday, we got a guy that's going to actually listen to some people that know what they're talking about and is gonna, he's not insecure and he's going to hire good people and let them do the job. And, look, you know, remember, we're putting – him side by side with Dan Snyder. Yeah. So everybody's yeah. going to look better. I think my, my disagreement with you would be all season long, I was wondering, and we talked about this, and I asked Ben or John or Nikki or anybody that I would have on the show, who's he talking to? Like he's got to be talking to somebody to create the list of people that he'll interview for the head of his football operation, you know, because he's not a football guy um, and he's new. And I, you know, he was a very small owner in, in the Pittsburgh Steelers, but almost anybody, hell, if I owned the team and was a new owner, I'd be looking, I don't have the answers to, you know, whether or not it should be Alec Hallaby that I bring in for the interview or, or Mike Borgonzi, or maybe somebody that's retired right now. That's like, I totally get him having people you know, that, that's why, you know, and I, I said this probably three weeks ago or a month ago now. I know internally Marty Herney's been a really good sounding board and somebody he's leaned on to kind of learn the league and learn football and how football operations, you know, differ from, you know, the NBA, et cetera. Not that Marty Herney was going to become a big part of the, the next regime at all. 
Um, but I, I wondered, you know, I mentioned Kevin Colbert's name multiple times this year because he was the longtime, you know, head of personnel for the Steelers who had recently retired. And, you know, uh, nobody had an answer. Like, who's he talking to? You know, who approached Sean Payton when the sale process was going on, which Sean Payton admitted that somebody who was in the running to become the commander's owner, you know, uh, or representing that person had reached out to, to, to gauge interest. And maybe that was somebody with Josh Harris. I thought that there had to be somebody that he was leaning on. And it turns out that it definitely was Bob Myers. Um, and that somebody, and I still can't find the connection to Spielman. I even had Kime on this morning, and he, he wasn't entirely sure. But somebody gave him Spielman, who, by the way, was you know let go from Minnesota a couple of years ago and has not been uh, rehired in the NFL. And probably this is the kind of gig he's been looking for. I don't have a problem with that. Now, was it a show to on the day that he fired Rivera to say this process has begun and you know we've got Bob Myers and we've got Spielman the only thing i would say is he really didn't say that much about either guy i actually you know he's not the greatest of communicators Josh isn't but i actually love the fact that most of his answers are you know kind of off the cuff and what he's thinking and he kind of gets to the point and you know i i didn't think he was up there taking a bow for hiring Spielman and Myers. No, but he didn't have to. There were, there, look, before I wrote the column, I really tried online to find some media pom poms to order before I wrote it, uh-huh. but they were all sold out. <laughs> he didn't have to <clears throat> yeah. take a bow. Right. People took the bows for him, okay? He didn't have to do that. And I think you've got your, your advisors mixed up. I would think that Rick Spielman would be the guy he would have been talking to. Definitely. No, 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 no. What, would, I, what does Bob Myers know about the NFL? Well, Bob Myers is someone that he's known for a while, and he knows Lakeup, the owner of the Warriors. They're NBA people. And Bob Myers, by all accounts. You're, you're, who, who, where is he compiling this list of people to talk no, to? No, I'm not talking about Bob Myers that has compiling this. somebody those. with uh, NFL inside uh, information. Yeah, I'm just saying that all along I was wondering who's he going to have that's going to guide him in the direction of interviewing the right people based on, you know, the kind of organization he wants to create. That is Spielman, 100% more than Bob Myers. But it's been Myers that I bet he's had conversations with regarding organizational culture. And, you know, I think he just, I I think Myers is just... And and, and a new model. Yeah, models and and cultures and paradigms, I think it's the right pronunciation. And all that stuff. Look, this is right out of Transparent's head handbook. Yeah, right. Business jargon. It really is. Yeah. Um, I, it, I mean, this is what Ted but did. No, no, no. He's no, uh, but he doesn't come off as pompous like Ted. You would agree no, with that. No, he doesn't. But, yeah. but this, this exact practice, what we're talking about, is the same thing that Ted did. In terms of lots of people. Lots of people involved. Tommy Shepard. I yeah. know that. Yeah. And it is for show as much as anything else. Uh, and here's the other thing that uh, that could be an issue moving forward. Uh, most NFL, if not every every NFL team, you pretty much have an owner, not an ownership group. You have minority investors, but you know Jeffrey Lurie decides who's going to be 
the, the general manager in Philadelphia. John Mara decides it in New York. Jerry Jones decides it in Dallas. Here, you have an ownership group. And while Josh Harris may be the lead guy, managing partner. it's not really clear that he's going to call all the shots. Look, here's the advisory committee that they, for a new head coach and GM. It's got Josh Harris, Magic Johnson, David Blitzer, and Mitchell Rails, included with Bob Myers and Rick Spielman. Well, who has the final say there? Well, Josh Harris does. You know, you know that for sure. Yes. There's no other NFL ownership set up like this in the league right now. I'm looking with through. With 20? Well, nobody had. You're right. No, no ownership group has this many minority right. shareholders. Um, but and, there and are in the NFL. It's typically one guy. It's it's it, it's a fiefdom. It's not usually a democracy. I know, but I'm looking. And I get that. Yeah, go ahead. They have to come up with the money. This we may be entering an age where teams are more too expensive for one guy to to. To do the bulk of the yeah, buy, I was going to say this one was six billion, and wasn't family handing it down to son. I know father that. handing it down to son. I get that. Yeah. So, but this is not typically uh, teams make these decisions. One guy's making the, making the call. I'm looking through. Um, there's just a list of basically every NFL team's front office with titles, the exact titles um, for uh, all of them, and almost everybody, with the exception of just a couple, including Washington, it starts with you know owner or owner slash chairman, you know, um, and then that's it. By the way, the, when it comes to ownership, Washington's the only group. Listed, and I'll just read it verbatim. Um, ownership, managing partner Josh Harris, limited partners Mitchell Rails, Magic Johnson, David Blitzer, Mark Ein, and 15 others. So it is a different type of ownership situation because if it's a group, because it's a group, of course, the Packers are the most unique of ownership yes, situations yes, they because are. they are publicly held. Um, uh, but. Um, so I'm just raising that as something to keep your eye on I, moving forward. I, I think that's as, as a decision-making entity. I think that's really fair. I, I do because it's unique, and so let's see how that. And by the way, he hasn't referred to himself as an owner. He's referred to himself as the managing partner of the ownership group. You know, and he talks about himself and his partners all of the time. And this search committee is made up of Josh Harris, Mitchell Rails, Magic Johnson, David Blitzer, and then. Bob Myers and uh, Rick Spielman, uh, but Josh Harris is the final say. You know, of the six billion, he put down you the most so. by a lot. Yeah, you would hope so. Now, let me just really take the train off the tracks here for a minute. Mm-hmm. You and I could pick the next president of football operations. We could do this. You don't need to hire. Bob Myers or Rick Spielman. You could do it. No, I couldn't. Yeah, I'd just be along for the help. ride. Not without help. That's, well, that, well, that's well, ridiculous. One phone call. Ridiculous. One phone call. One phone call, phone call to whom? all you'd have to make. Who? To whom? You, you, you call Mike and you say, Mike, who should I hire as the president of football <laughs> operations? I know, but see, okay. but but that I and wouldn't. That's all it would take. I wouldn't do do it that way, though. I would. I wouldn't rely on just one person. I would. 
I, I would want to do... Uh, look, I don't have a problem in the situation they're in to casting this incredibly large net to try... It, by the way, just going, going through the process of interviewing, because I've done this before, not in football, but interviews typically lead to other candidates and sometimes the people that you hire just based on the interviews. I think you learn a lot in the interview process. Now, would I be this incredibly um, uh, deliberative uh, consensus building owner? Probably not, because at the end of the day, I like people who are decisive, and I consider myself at times to be decisive, sometimes to the point of being too decisive, uh, bordering on impulsive. But um, in this situation, I think that I would need, I'd need one or two people that I would want to sit down with and I'd say, look, I just bought this team. I'm a big football fan. I know a lot of these names. I've heard a lot of these people. By the way, I I said this on yesterday's show. Anybody that's got a definitive opinion about the general manager hire, if they're hiring somebody without general manager experience, is almost just looking for you know, a hot take kind of a position. Because we don't know anything about these people if they've never done this job before. I mean, we can all read about Alec Hallaby and Adam Peters, but they've never they've never had total responsibility over a football organization managing people and a scouting staff, etc. It's a whole different thing altogether. But I would definitely need a couple of people to sit down with and say, all right, I'm gonna be involved in interviewing and I'm going to be involved, in, but I don't even know the right questions to ask. No, Tommy. One it's a call. lot more than that. Oh, you do too. No. Come no, on. No. This is ridiculous. You too. I would know a couple of questions to, to ask. Sh- one call to Mike Shanahan, and one call to the farmer who grew the Mike Shanahan <laughs> coaching tree and say, Mike, can you plant a seed over here in Washington? So we can grow that kind of trait. Um, That's all it would take. You know, this, th- you don't need this. I, 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 dis- I disagree. I completely disagree. I don't know who those people would be, but I would need people to help me develop the list of people that I need to interview for these jobs and then to participate to a certain degree in the interviewing process. You could not have come up with this list that they came up with on your own. Um... No, not necessarily on the GM side. I mean, what do you, yeah, I could go read Albert Breer's column about the hot guys, but that's a writer. That's, a, that's, that's somebody that's a, that's a media member. I want somebody inside the league that's been living this. I don't know these people. And who, I, in the conversations that these people have about media reports, about what they're thinking, are probably just laugh-out-loud conversations. Did you see what, you know, Rappaport said? I mean, can you imagine hiring him? I want to point out that Rick Spielman or Bob Myers are not in the league. Well, Rick Spielman's been in the league forever. He knows everybody. Right, and so has Mike Shanahan. Yeah, I understand that, but not but not recently, and not as a front office executive. Um, Well, yeah, he was. He was just with Minnesota two years ago before they hired Adolfo Mensa and and Kevin O'Connell. I believe Mike has a son who coaches in the league. Yeah, and Mike watches film all the time of of his son's team. I understand that. I would I would I would definitely call him, no doubt. 
no doubt. But I like there are Tommy, you're I think you're just way way too simplifying the process. I'm not trying to make it into rocket science. You know, like I'm sure there would be somebody I could sit down with that would say, "Eh, here are the three people you got to bring in. They're the only ones that are worth hiring. Everybody else is essentially the same. I mean, you know, if you get to those people, call me. But just pick one of these three people and whoever you connect you with, go. hire that person. Yeah, there's probably some people that would say that. But I, I, I think it's, um, I think I'd want to be more thorough than that. Oh come on! By the way, I'll tell this you one thing I could do. I know. I, I'll tell you. I'll tell you one thing I could do. In addition to creating these interviews at my home in South Florida, I could be thinking about the name issue and being in, in doing something about that. The more I thought about this, and I, I played this on the show yesterday, I played the, the sound bite. You heard what he said about the name, right? He completely yes. blew off the answer. I'm not he even going to play it. it. He yes. completely dismissed it and, and, and talked about how busy they are. Can't you see? We're busy right now. Yeah, we can all see how busy you are. You ran, you know, a, a, a $98 billion hedge fund. There, there are many days that you were busy doing a lot of different things. I think it was fine to answer that question that way in July. Um, I didn't think it was fine to answer that question that way yesterday. And I said it on the podcast, and I'll be a little bit uh, yesterday, but I'll be a little bit more specific. I think he should have said something like, Hey, good question. Glad you asked. It is something that we are looking at. We're taking very seriously. We know how important it is to so many of our fans, both current and previous. And we'll have an update on that at an appropriate time. But yes, it's something that we are, you know, we're working on. I I think at the very least, that would have been an indication to me that, He's not trying to, to, to duck it and that, hey, by the way, we can do more than one thing simultaneously because we're really smart people. And, you know, and by the way, we got a lot of people that we have helping out and advising. You know, I'm sure he's got somebody, you know, advising him on this issue or taking yes. this issue on. Um, I just, yes. I, I didn't, I think he could have answered it in the way that I just described at the very least. Do you have an opinion on that one way or the other? No, I agree. I, I, I agree. I mean, I think it's something that needs to be dealt with. And, uh, again, it, it, you know, the idea that they're too busy to do something yeah. like this. Yeah. And that's, that's what your employee tells a boss. That's not what the boss says. <laughs> right. Yeah. The boss doesn't say, oh, we're too busy to do this. <laughs> right. Yeah, Robert California, you know, looks at Pam in the kitchen and says, oh, really, you're too busy to help me right now. (laughs) Uh, And that changed the conversation real quickly. Um, All right. Uh, What else? Um, I I, honestly, I don't have so many of you said, well, who's your combination of people? It's so hard on the GM front. I don't know. I know Adam Peters is probably the most sought after. I can read all about Adam Peters and Ian Cunningham just like all of you can. But this is a completely different job to be the general manager, to have the responsibility over the entire roster, to manage people probably for the first time in a serious 
uh, way, to have accountability in meetings with the owner. Like, it, it's got to be a good fit, and then that fit's got to be a good fit with the coach. My, my opinions on the coaches are more definitive than on the GMs. Everybody says Adam Peters. Okay, Will McClay apparently has been the brains of the, of the Jones operation for a while in Dallas. You know, when it comes to Cunningham or Hallaby or Borgonzi or Cook, I don't know. I have no idea. On the coach front, I'll tell you what, like the Mike McDonald in Baltimore is a genius X's and O's defensive coordinator. But I need I don't know if he's a leader of men. I don't know if he as a head coach would be, you know, the guy that everybody would look up to versus what they did with Dennis Allen in New Orleans the other day, essentially say, No, coach, we're not taking victory formation. Yeah. We're gonna hand yeah. the ball off and score. We're gonna get to that in the final segment of the show. But um uh, Anthony Weaver uh, looks like a star in so many ways, and my God, what a job he's done with that D front. Um, but Raheem, again, don't you you have said? Uh, maybe I'm taking putting words in your mouth. You want the president of football operations to pick the coach, right? Yeah, and that's going to be the first hire anyway because the coach can't be interviewed formally in person until January 22nd. I mean, I I don't know if that that right. means that that they wouldn't hire somebody first. But right, so all the coaching stuff, unless yeah. you're talking about a Harbaugh or or uh, a Vrabel or 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 uh, or Belichick, unless you're talking about somebody like that, all the other coaching stuff is it's just noise until you hire your president of football ops. If you believe the system should follow a certain standard, a certain way of doing things. Yes. The owner's got to be involved to a certain degree. He's got to make sure that, you know, the two of them... Yeah, I am i don't know, Tommy. I listened to Josh Harris's answer on this yesterday. There were two things he said yesterday that I actually really liked. Number one was, with respect to, you know, coach-centric versus a GM and a head coach, his preference, or as he said, his orientation, would be, you know, we hire a head of football operations and we have a head coach because those are two 80-hour-a-week jobs. But... Talent dictates that. If you know, if we we're not going to pass on talent to sort of uphold this organizational chart idea we have, I love that because in hiring for any position, sometimes somebody's so good and so talented, and it doesn't fit what you thought the job would be or how it would be structured. You're stupid to let that person go. And by the way, I think in many ways that's almost a concession for the possibility of like a Jim Harbaugh, as an example. Um, the, the other thing that he said was, he said with respect to, um, uh, you know, I think Barry's Verlug asked the question, you know, will it be the GM that you hire that then goes and hires the head coach? He said, and I'm paraphrasing here, I'll, you know, I'm going to be involved in that process because they're going to have accountability to me. And then he talked about the importance of making sure that those two people are aligned. And and that's one thing that I think we've seen in the league. You know, there used to be a time when the GM and the head coach were like almost, you know, two separate entities altogether. Your, your GM and head coach have to be on the same page from the jump. Your head coach has to get players that fit how he wants to coach, and the GM has to be aware of that. So um, 
I don't know. This is a long conversation, and it's getting sideways. My point is, is I don't know what the right combination is. If you told me that you know I could get Mike Vrabel right now with a general manager of his choice, somebody in the league that he knows really well and trusts a lot, and it's somebody that's on this list or not on that list, in some ways the head coach hire is more important. I'll tell you well, that's what, the, what I said. Yeah. That's what I said. I know. If it's yeah. Crable or Belichick right. or, or Harbaugh, yes, that's a different conversation. Right. But the rest of the coaching prospects are unknowns. Right. They're unknowns. And should fall under Dan the Quinn. general manager, Dan president of an, football an operations direction. Yeah, Dan Quinn is not an unknown as a head coach. Dan but, Quinn but, is not an unknown. But everybody else, so Raheem, not, Raheem Morris you know, had a very brief stint, obviously. Right. Um, but yeah, if you're talking about right. Ben Johnson again, or Bobby Slowick, yeah, you could have come up with a list of people to interview. Okay, I could have. You're right. I could have. Would it have been the best list? And then would the interviews be conducted in the most? The interviews are a different. I'm talking. Interviews okay. are a different animal. Okay. Okay. Well, if I'm going to have somebody involved with me in the interviews or help me with the interviews, I'll help. I'll have them help me put together the list of candidates too. Okay. And by the way, I just want to point out interviews. Bar Heard blew a poll in a way in his interview. <laughs> Lee yeah. Mazzilli yeah. blew away Mike Flanahan and Jim Beatty in his interview in Baltimore to be the Orioles manager. Um. All right. Well, I think what uh, what will happen, though, is I think that more likely than not that Bob Myers and Rick Spielman and the rest of the search committee will land on a GM um, or, you know, president of football ops hire. You know, Kime pointed out to me that this hire may be president of football ops and they may hire, you know, a GM, but that'll be the chief. Like, like, like they did in with Washington, with the, with the Wizards. Right, like they did with the Wizards, like they've done in a couple of places in the NFL. Yeah. Um, but that person is going to be the key football voice and the football person. Yeah. The other person will be almost, you know, kind of a borderline number one scout or talent evaluator um, along with that head of football ops. Uh, well, thank God we've got so many great minds working on this. Well, we, you know what? It's, I'll take this versus Dan and Vinny at Morton's sketching something out on the napkin. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I know it's not the choice, but it's also not unusual. The way it's being handled is not unusual. The only unusual thing, and you're right to say, let's just see how this works, is managing partner who owns, what does he own, 30% of it? Doesn't he have to own 30%? With twenty, you know, limited partners owning the the, the remainder of the team, um, I mean, he has obviously the voting uh, shares. He can't get voted yeah. out, um, but he could get bought out at some point. At you know, you're, if you wanted to put together an offer like three years from now, if the you know the if the seventy percent includes somebody that's also now made another twenty billion in some other business. And Josh Harris is sick of owning an NFL team and nothing good has happened. Who knows? I mean, it's a lot easier to buy out a 30% owner uh, than it is a 99% owner. Um, that's $6 billion. 
Wow, six billion. Uh, I'm trusting in the process. I'll leave you at, with that on ownership. Trusting okay. the process. Um, all right. Uh, one quick thing I do want to mention, and that is uh, that there's lots coming up at Due South in Navy Yard. Restaurant week will be in full swing January 15th through the 21st. And Due South is turning up the heat with a three-course price-fix dinner for just 40 That's right, a starter, a mouth-watering entree, and a sweet treat to finish it off, all for the deliciously affordable price. Whether you're craving some crispy fried Brussels sprouts or diving into a plate of slow-cooked pulled pork, Due South's got your taste buds covered, and that's not all. Mark your calendars. Due South is throwing the hottest Mardi Gras party in town on Fat Tuesday, February 13th. Get ready to let the good times roll with the legendary Cajun Buffet at Due South, along with live music and beads galore. We're talking about the most authentic Mardi Gras experience outside of the Big Easy right here in the nation's capital. It's the party of the year, and you don't want to miss it. So grab your friends, bring your appetite, and join everybody at Due South for a week of unbeatable dining deals during restaurant week, and then the ultimate Mardi Gras bash in February. Good times, great eats, that's how they do it down south, and they're bringing it all to D.C. Learn more at DueSouthDC.com. I uh, want to talk some NFL, including the end of that Saints-Falcons game on Sunday. We'll get to that right after these words from a few of our sponsors. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, Tommy, tell us about Shelly's. I know it's a miserable day out there. It's cold and wet and rainy, okay? This is where you need to rest, you merry gentlemen. You need to go to Shelly's back room at 1331 F Street, northwest in the district. That's where you'll find comfort and joy. And if there's ever a day for comfort and joy, it's today with the the winds and the rain. You know, if you're stuck at home, and you're bored, you know, head out to Shelly's back room. You'll, you'll find a nice, warm atmosphere, and you'll have a meal. Shelly's makes it special with their special for today, the Double H Burger, a half pound mm. of Shelly's custom blend, Angus ground chuck, beef short ribs, and beef brisket, topped with honey ham and cheddar. Okay, that's comfort. That's joy. That's what you'll find Despite the, 
the, the chaos going on outside, the weather just being so terrible, it's warm and fuzzy and great in Shelly's Back Room. Find out more at Shelly'sBackRoom.com. There is something very comfortable about being in a neighborhood bar atmosphere when the weather outside is shitty. You know, there's just something cool about sitting at a bar and people are coming in and they're bundled up or they're soaking wet. And it's like, hey, take the coat off. Come on over here and have a cold one with me. Yeah. Uh, Shelly's would be that kind of spot for sure. Absolutely. All right. Um, I did not on yesterday's show talk much about the final NFL Sunday of the year because obviously very busy yesterday. We didn't have time for, for any of that stuff. We were focused on everything that was going on with our franchise. Um, but the final weekend produced, you know, some drama. The game Sunday night between the Bills and Dolphins was great. Um, the Bills are a serious contender in the AFC. You know, whenever somebody says, uh, yeah, the guy throws too many picks for me, they better not be talking about Josh Allen. That's all I got to say, because I would take all of his picks and all of him tomorrow and deal the number two pick overall, because he's a known great quarterback. You know, he ended up this year, um, I think he was second behind Sam in interceptions. Sam led the league in interceptions. Sam Howell did with 21. Yeah, Josh Allen had 18. He's just a great quarterback and a great playmaker and a great competitor. I love everything about Josh Allen. I think Buffalo's got a chance. Miami's a banged-up football team. They were banged up the other night. It's going in the wrong direction for them. It's funny because they play a team that's kind of been going in the wrong direction in Kansas City in the first you know, super wild-card weekend. And then the Eagles, who are going in the wrong direction, play the Buccaneers, who beat the Panthers 9 to nothing to get into the postseason. Um, so the two, you know, the Saturday night game and the Monday night game are going to be interesting games because all four teams are not playing their best football. But anyway, the game that I wanted to talk about was the Atlanta-New Orleans game and the ending of this game. Some of you have probably seen this already. But if you haven't seen it, I'll set it up for you. So this was a meaningful game in that the winner uh, had it would have won the division had Tampa Bay lost to Carolina, and that game was close throughout. Like that was a six to nothing game. The Panthers uh, receiver DJ Chark did one of those things where he caught a ball and was running into the end zone, and then tried to reach out from the one yard line, lost control of it. It went through the end zone touchback. If not, the Panthers would have had a seven to nothing lead, and they would have had a decent chance, I think, to win the game against the Buccaneers. But the winner of Falcon Saints. Uh, The loser was eliminated. The winner would win the division if Tampa Bay lost. And for the Saints, if they won the game, they'd still be alive for the wild card, even if the Bucs won and clinched the NFC South. So there was some meaning to the game. Uh, Secondly, it got sideways in the second half. It was 17-17 at halftime, and then the Saints just opened up a can of whoop-ass on Atlanta and beat the snot out of them uh, and took a 41-17 lead. And then late in the fourth quarter, there's an interception return by the Saints down to the one-yard line with a minute 10 to go in the game. 
up 41 to 17. So that's when the drama uh, took uh, place. So Jamal Williams, if you recall, last year was in Detroit. He led the league in touchdowns with 17. He plays for the Saints this year, and he had not scored a touchdown the entire season this year. So with a minute 10 to go, the Saints up 41 to 17 got into victory formation at the one yard line. Jameis Winston had checked into the game uh, for the uh, for the Saints uh, and Derek Carr was out at that point. And Winston had, you know, the two running backs by his sides and the wide receiver that was lined up 15 yards behind in case the snap, you know, got away from him or whatever. And it looked like the Saints were going to take the knee because they were in victory formation, and then they would have taken a second knee. The clock would have run out 41-17 to final. But that's not what happened from victory formation. From victory formation, they faked the kneel down and handed the ball off to Jamal Williams, who was in the backfield, and he scored a touchdown. 48-17, Atlanta players were shocked. And at the end of the game, Arthur Smith, who has since been fired, the head coach of the Falcons, came across the field and started screaming at Dennis Allen. What the fuck are you doing? What the fuck was that about? The whole thing. Um, Arthur Smith fired later on that night. He was going to get fired anyway unless they made the playoffs. Atlanta had quarterback issues, you know, from the moment that Arthur Smith arrived. So um, Dennis Allen, the head coach of the Saints, who, by the way, the reports are he's staying. He's not going to get fired. Um, That was a potential job opening um, in the last few weeks. Uh, He immediately said, you're right. Right back to Arthur Smith, he said, you're right. That was wrong. And then opened up his press conference apologizing to Arthur Smith and the Atlanta Falcons. And he said, the plan was victory formation to take a knee. And the players decided to do something else. The players admitted it. Jameis Winston admitted it. Jameis Winston said, we got in the huddle, Jamal hadn't scored a touchdown, and everybody wanted to hand the ball off to Jamal Williams and give him a touchdown for the year. So the instructions from the coach were ignored. In victory formation, they handed the ball off to Jamal Williams, and he scored the touchdown, and they ran it up on the Falcons, winning 48-17. For those of you that don't know, that is an intense rivalry. I don't think that's a rivalry NFL fans in general understand, but the Saints and Falcons, they don't like each other. The fan bases don't like each other. It's been a rivalry for a long time. So um, I'll start with you. Uh, The Saints apologized. Then Jameis Winston said it wasn't on the coach. It was on us. We didn't do what he told us to do. Uh, Jimmy Graham, the Saints' tight end, tweeted out yesterday. Um, I found this to be interesting because it's like the second time this has happened with Jameis Winston uh, in particular. He came to Jameis's defense and he wrote, get off Jameis's back. The man is the best teammate I've ever had. Loves this city, this game, embodies everything you can ask for in a leader. Was a rare situation and we all take responsibility. Nobody thought it would get blown out of proportion. Also, Fuck the Falcons. (laughs) That's what he tweeted out, all right? I I thought it was interesting because everywhere Jameis Winston has gone in the NFL, he's become a favorite of teammates, coaches, media members, fans, even though he hasn't been a very good quarterback anywhere he's gone. 
All right, I'll let you go first. What do you what did you make of what the Saints did, what Arthur Smith's reaction was, et cetera? That's a got to go situation if you're Dennis Allen. Jameis Winston has thrown three hundred and thirty four passes in four years for the New Orleans Saints. He has no standing to do anything like that to embarrass the coach. It wasn't just and that's him. What it did. Remember, it wasn't just him, it was everybody in that he, huddle. He, no, but he is he's the coach's representative You're right. on the field. Yep. Okay. And uh, for, for for that's a gots to go. It's a simple thing. He's cut. He's gone. You know, you want to run your own game, you do it on another team. You you gotta send a message on a situation like that. You look weak. If if your quarterback in a meaningless situation, you know, undercuts you on, on like that. What's he gonna do when the game's on the line? And you've got a play called, and he wants to call something else. That, that guy's got to go. He's a backup quarterback. He's not worth a hassle. You know, uh, Shannon Sharp took that uh, position and said, it's gots to go situation. You have to cut him on the spot. You have to cut him on the spot. Um, it is basically in, in subordination, almost by definition. I mean, you're going against yeah. what you're – uh, what your coach told you to do. And he is the quarterback. I agree with you. Even though everybody was apparently yucking it up in the huddle saying, let's not do this. Let's give the ball to Jamal. Let's score. Um, he is the guy that controls the snap and he's the quarterback. And by the way, he's a veteran quarterback and should know better. So um, I don't know about cutting Jameis Winston in many ways. My biggest issue is with Dennis Allen, the fact that they would you know, be so disrespectful to his wishes, it would concern me about De- Dennis Allen. I, I, I can't imagine. Uh, can you imagine if they did that to like a coach with success, a Belichick or somebody like that? It would yeah. have been, you know, they yeah. w- they would have been gone. But th- th- he would have. That would have been uh, if if a quarterback did that to Belichick, a uh, backup quarterback, he would have spontaneously combusted on the field. Um, the 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 thing about it was. Let me start. With Atlanta, I just I I was I saw it on the uh, I was I was tuned in at that point to the Red Zone channel and saw this, you know, uh, replayed, and I'm like, Arthur Smith looks weak. I'm sorry, you just it's professional football. Um, it it was a classless thing to do. I, I should have started it the other way. Let me start with the Saints. It, classless thing to do should never be done. All right, you don't run it up for the purposes of just you play this team twice a year. You don't think they're going to remember this, and then the second part of it is you get in victory formation, and you do that so you run a trick play to score from the one. And Jamal Williams, by the way, I looked this up, didn't have any incentives. Like it's not like if he went scored one touchdown, he got a hundred thousand dollar bonus or something for every touchdown he scored. There was nothing. Uh, to that effect. Um, we've seen some of that here in recent years uh, in the final week of the season. You get in victory formation and then you surprise them in running up the score. First of all, you could have gotten somebody hurt on the other side. They think you're going to kneel it down because you should have knelt it down and you were lined up to kneel it down. Somebody on defense could have been blocked and hit and, and had a knee taken out because they thought the game was over and you were taking a knee. 
You know, this isn't Dan Marino fake spiking it and throwing a game-winning touchdown pass. I saw somebody on the internet trying to compare it to that. Shut the fuck up. How stupid can you be? It's 41-17. All right, this isn't a trick play. This is them lined up like they're going to take a snap, and Atlanta's got absolutely no reason to believe they're going to run a play. Um, Shouldn't have done it. Classless. Definitely shouldn't have done it from victory formation. And Dennis Allen looks like a dope, and Jameis Winston looks weak too. I agree with all of that. From the Atlanta side, if that's my team and I'm the coach, I'm seething. I'm pissed. But there's no way I'm going to make it look like that when I come out to midfield. This is not sixth grade rec ball or CYO. All right? Stop them if you don't like it. And I understand they were in victory formation, and that is the bullshit part of it. And I might afterwards reach out to Dennis Allen and say, what the fuck was that in victory formation? You could have gotten one of my players hurt. And he would have said, it wasn't me, man. And I would have said, all right, well, then it sounds like you got a problem. with your." With, but I would not have made the scene on national television that Arthur Smith did because I think he looked weak in that moment. It's professional football, you know. Um, but uh, I'll tell you one thing. If I were Arthur Smith and I were coaching the team next year, and, and, and uh, that would be number one on as big of a motivator as you could have had for the rematch. And if they ever got in victory formation against me again, I'd take my most heartless player, the, my, my, my enforcer, whoever that is, and I'd say, go take the quarterback's knees out on this kneel down. You go hit him and you take him out if they got into victory formation against me. And then I would just say, we thought you were going to run another trick, trick play against us. Uh, because that's what it You don't it'll... want to be on Kevin's list, do you? I would, that, that would have, I would have never gone to midfield doing that, you know, knowing that you know, it's professional football, but it would have yeah, certainly... Yeah, I know, but he probably it would have, smelled that his... He, maybe. He probably smelled he was about to be fired. It would have certainly motivated the, the shit out of me for the, next, for the rematch. And it, it, the whole thing was just a complete fiasco when you think about it. For, I mean, from a New Orleans yeah. standpoint. Um, in terms of cutting Jameis, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. But Dennis Allen, man, if I were the owner of that team, if I were the Bensons or they own the Saints, right? I'd be like, are you serious? Yeah, the, you, uh, the daughter owns it. You told, Gail Benson, I think. You told them to do that and they just ignored you? I mean, that would concern yeah. me about him. Um all right. Anything else? I got nothing else for you, boss. I need to look at, look for some consultants to figure out what I'm going to do the rest <laughs> of the day. All right. Uh, good job today. I appreciate uh, you bringing it uh, with the column and with the culture and with all of the cooks in the kitchen. Uh, you'll be back with me on Thursday, and we'll pick playoff games this weekend. And maybe we'll have the new GM or the new president of football operations hired by then. It's possible. Wouldn't be surprised if it happens before the end of the week. All right, uh, back tomorrow. License and registration, please. We could do it that way. You ask me for my papers. I tell you it's not my car, that I borrowed it. See where things go from there. You could do that. Or you could go get in your car and drive away. Now, why would I do that? Because some roads you shouldn't go down. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. 
To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.